The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org. If we want it bad enough, we'll do just about anything to get it. Right, like right now we're like in heavy sports season. We got football going, you know, professional football. We got college football going on. We just kicked off uh, the basketball season. And uh, so, you know, there's a lot of like sports going on. And, and a lot of times you can hear in sports, like you got to want it. And the team that wants it the most is going to work the hardest to get it. And, and this is uh, evident in my home, certainly with my kids, because when they want something, they will do pretty much anything to get it. And, and the way this typically happens is the way they like ask us for something. Particularly the little guys who haven't figured out that there are times we're just, we're not going to give in. And so they just ask the question over and over again. Daddy, I want this or mommy, mommy, mommy. And then if I say no, they'll just go find mommy and be like, mommy, da, da, da. And like, they'll ask for more, right? And they haven't quite learned yet that if we find out that they ask the other one, not only are they not going to get it, but then they're going to get disciplined for, for going to one of the other parents when we already gave them an answer. But I'm telling you, my kids act like if they want something, like they're going to just keep asking. And if we say no, their thought is I must have asked it the wrong way because clearly daddy wants me to have this. And so what they, I, I watch their little wheels turning in their heads. It's funny. It's like, you can tell that they're trying to figure out, wait, how did I ask that wrong that daddy still said no? And so then you can see them like trying to reconstruct the sentence to ask it a different way so that they get the yes answer. Daniel right now, he's, he's my four-year-old. He's the most persistent at this and we're trying to teach him. It doesn't matter how many times you ask. In fact, I, I have been known to say this to him. If you ask me again, that's right, thank you. You're gonna get it. Like, not only are you not going to get what you want, you're going to get disciplined because you're not taking no for an answer. And, and we're pretty much the same way. I mean, I, I hate to say it, but I almost wonder if he's learned it from me. Because I tend to, when I have something on my mind, when I'm determined to do something, I don't take no for an answer. And so what I'm constantly doing is trying to find a workaround. I'll find a loophole. I'll figure out another way. And so, you know, certainly when Laura and I were on we were on sabbatical and we're traveling and I'm determined to do something. It's really hard for me to come to terms if it's not going to work out. Like it takes me like a little, it takes me a long time. Like it might take me a day to come to terms with the fact that we couldn't do that. And so I need to mope for a little bit. I don't know maybe you're a moper out there or maybe I just need to like fuss for a little bit or maybe I just need to whine or I just need to sulk and go off by myself because I got to come to grips with the fact that what I wanted to do, we can't do. And then I got, once it gets out of my system, I finally accept it and I'm like, all right, you know, it's not going to happen. So... I, I think that you and I, we have a tendency to like, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get what I want. And then if we can't get what we want, we have one last ditch attempt. We pray. We're like, all right. I mean, if Laura's not going to go with me when I want to do what I want, meaning if, if we're, we're, we're doing this and she's like, Patrick, there is no way. I mean, we got six kids in the car. That's just not going to happen, right? I mean, the last ditch attempt is like, God, you got to hear me. You got to help me out, all right? Like change, change your heart, you know? And uh, so I think we tend to turn to prayer and it, and it almost doesn't matter what your views of prayer are. It doesn't matter how you view God because throughout history, people have approached God. 
prayer this way. All different religions, all different views of God. I mean, you got the rain dance. You got people dancing around thinking that if, if they just dance long enough or dance passionately enough, the gods will send them rain. You have people who have all kinds of strange prayers. And again, throughout history, people who, women who prayed to get pregnant and men were praying that they wouldn't. I'm kidding. Um, but, but you literally, so thousands of years of human history where people were praying like for the, the woman to get pregnant and all kinds of bizarre practices. Some of the most ancient religious rituals were specifically regarding fertility and praying for a woman to get pregnant. And so there is certainly patterns of people in desperation using religion and the ritual of prayer as a last ditch attempt to get what they want. And so so it's no surprise that in our culture, people have a little bit of a negative view toward prayer and people who say, hey, thoughts and prayers. Like you maybe, maybe when a tragedy strikes or there's a difficult situation in our nation and we, you know, we put hashtag thoughts and prayers and then others chime in and they say your, your thoughts and prayers are worthless. Maybe what they're reacting to is not a Christian view of thoughts and prayers, but the fact that a bunch of Christians don't actually believe in the power of prayer. We don't pray like we believe in prayer. We don't necessarily pray like we believe that the real living sovereign God of all the universe is leaning in and listening when we pray. But could you imagine, just imagine, Imagine how different the world would respond and how differently you would pray if you knew that the moment you turned to God in prayer, that the sovereign God of all the universe, the one who, when he spoke, worlds came into existence. When he breathed, life came into mankind. Could you imagine how different you and I would pray if we believed that our words and the thoughts we lift up in prayer reached the God of heaven and didn't just make it to his ears, but moved his hands and his heart to work on our behalf. Imagine how different you would pray if you believed that the God who, when he spoke, all that is alive and living came into existence, that he responded when you prayed. You and I might just pray differently. And, and certainly that was the feeling of the followers of Jesus, what we call the disciples, these students, of all the things they could have asked Jesus to teach them. Of all of the wonderful things that they observed Jesus doing, the only thing they ever asked Jesus to teach them was to teach them how to pray. And so they go to Jesus and they say, Jesus, we want to pray the way you pray. Teach us how to pray. And so first Jesus says, look, before I teach you the kind of the, the how-tos of prayer, let me first tell you this, that the motives matter. Why you're praying is more important than what you pray. And so remember, when you pray, that your heart needs to be right and worshipful. It's not the posture of your physical body, but the, the posture of your heart surrendered toward in, or in worship toward your heavenly or our heavenly father. And so then he gives them the, the what of prayer. So let me jump into, it's found in Matthew chapter six. So Matthew is one of those disciples, one of those guys that went to Jesus, teach us how to pray and these are Jesus' words. This then is how you should pray. 
Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I just want to focus in this message on this final statement of this opening line of the prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And if you're like me, and you don't want your prayers to just be last ditch attempts, you want prayer to actually be meaningful. You, you wish your prayer could be more conversational. You wish that when you turned to God in prayer, you really believed that God was on the other side and that he heard and he responded and you had the right heart and attitude in prayer. You, maybe you're like me and there's moments when you, you get a little stressed out thinking, I don't know that I pray the right way. And, and you wish that your prayer life could have a boost. So I want to give you some principles in prayer that could really turn your prayer life around. And, and maybe you're here and you're not even sure you believe in prayer. I hope that by the time I finish this message, you're going to not only believe in prayer, but you're going to want to pray. And the key here is this, what Jesus offers when he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The, the principle that jumps out of that statement is this, we need to want what God wants. Would you take a moment, and I want you just to write that down. Pull, pull out your smartphone, pull out a tablet, and I want you to type that in. Maybe, maybe you're going old, old school and you pull out a pen and paper. But the key here, what Jesus is saying when he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, it's a, it's a challenge that when you go to God in prayer, you and I need to want what God wants. But if we were honest, if I were, was honest, I would say, most of the time, I want what I want when I go to God in prayer. I, I don't even, I don't know that most of the time I slow down long enough to even think about what God wants. I'm desperate, I'm in trouble, or our community is in trouble, the world we live in is in trouble, and my prayer is focused on what I think is best. I, I'm driven by my desires, my thoughts, because I fundamentally believe that I've figured out what is best. Some of you, you think you know what's best politically for our nation. You think you know what's best for your life. You, you think that your desires are driving you toward what is best for your life. And so even when we pray, we pray for what we think is best and what we think feels good. And so as a result, we use prayer a little bit like putting a coin in a, um, you know, a bot, you know, in a playing like a lottery or playing the, the slot machine, thinking that if we put the coin in and we put it the right way, that we're going to get jackpot and we're going to get the answer to our prayers. It's, and if we don't get it, you're like my kids and you just think, oh, I got to change how I say it. I got to, I got to change the formula. But the challenge is we don't need to change our formula. We got to change our focus. We got we got we got to change we got to have a heart change here's why because what we think is best is often not what's best and what feels good 
And when we do what we think feels good, we discover that even though it feels good, it's not actually good for us. Why? Because our desires are corrupted. Our thinking is corrupted. So our thinking is twisted into believing that we know what's best. Unfortunately, what we think is best usually leads us to wander lost. And what we think feels good often causes us to squander what is best in our life and settle for something less. This is what Jesus referred to as sin. Sin is the corruption of our spiritual being. The eternal part of who you are and who I am is corrupted. And as a result of our spirit being corrupted, it corrupts our desires. It corrupts our thinking so that we begin to believe that if it feels good, it is good, but it isn't. And sin corrupts our thoughts so that it tricks us into believing I know what's best, but we don't. And as a result, we settle for something less. Sin doesn't just corrupt our desires and corrupt our thinking. When it causes us to settle for something less, the less is ruin. The less is eternal destruction. So this isn't just like a a slight mix-up. Oops, I got it a little bit wrong. This is a completely devastating misjudgment. When our spirit is corrupted, it is out to destroy us. Sin is wrecking our life. And so Jesus didn't come just to teach us how to pray. I want to be really clear here. There there isn't a magic formula. There isn't some little uh, ritualistic prayer that you can get right that suddenly changes your life and gives you everything you want. No, the key to our prayers being heard is our heart being changed by Jesus. And so what Jesus did was he took all of our sin, the eternal judgment you and I deserve, and he put it on himself. When Jesus died, he was dying for me. He was dying for you. And when Jesus died on the cross, he was absorbing the eternal judgment that you and I deserved. And so when he died, he died once for all. So anyone who believes in Jesus by faith, their sins are forgiven and the sin drive in them is cut off so that sin no longer is dictating our desires and driving our thoughts. But Jesus not only died, he rose from the dead. And in his resurrection, he conquered the power of sin. He freed us from the grip of death so that now, even when we die, we don't, that's not the end of life. That's the beginning of eternal life forever with God in paradise. Okay, because Jesus died and he rose from the dead, when we believe in Jesus by faith, God's spirit enters into our spirit. Okay, this is key. That means if God is living in my spirit, then prayer is not a ritual. It's not about religion. Prayer isn't a rain dance to to persuade the hand of God to send down rain. Prayer is a relationship. It's a conversation. It's a dialogue. And so Jesus, when he teaches us how to pray, he is saying, look, I want you to start with your focus on God the Father in heaven. And when you pray, you're praying, you're praying with reverence and respect. And then you're saying this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So let me camp out on this for a moment. Here's what Jesus prays. On earth, as it is in heaven. When you get the power of this statement, 
It'll, it'll change how you pray. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, when God wills something to happen, it's going to happen. Imagine going back to the time of creation. When you read the account in Genesis, it describes it this way. God spoke and light happened. God spoke and worlds came into existence. God spoke and the sun and the moon and the stars came into existence. God spoke and birds began to fly. God spoke and the fish entered into the sea. God spoke and all the living things on earth came into being. And what Jesus is challenging us to pray is that God has already spoken things into existence. And so when you pray, you're asking God, God, what you have already spoken, may it now come into existence just as you spoke it. You've legislated it. You've passed laws. You've you've written it down in heaven. And so our prayer, God, is that what already exists, what's already been spoken in heaven, would it come to earth, on earth, as it already has been written, spoken, legislated in heaven. Well, this is going to require require a necessary alignment of our hearts, that I want what God wants, that I want the word of God to create, put things into existence on earth that don't yet exist, that I want the word of God to transform the way things are messy on the earth that we live in today. Let's at least admit that things are not the way they should be. Things are not yet the way God wants them to be on earth. And so Jesus is challenging us to want what God wants by desiring that what already exists in heaven, that what God has already legislated in heaven would through our prayers enter into existence in our lifetime. Okay, so how do we do that? How do we pray like that? Well, let's jump back into the prayer and let's take those two phrases apart. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what are we praying? Meaning when we want what God wants, what are we wanting? So that it exists on earth, even just like it's already spoken in heaven. Well, the first one is this, God May your kingdom that already exists in heaven, your kingdom that already exists in eternity, would you build your kingdom here? Your kingdom come. So here, here's, the, here's the principle. If you, if, you want, if you want what God wants, then how do you take this and apply it to your life? Well, it's simply prayer flips our focus. I want prayer to flip my focus. So my focus often when I go to God in prayer is I want what I want. It's about my kingdom, my promotion, my finances, my family, our health, our vacation, my view of politics, my view of what the community should look like, my view of what the world around me should look like, right? It's about what I want. But when I go to God in prayer, the Christian approach to prayer, which is that I believe that through faith in Jesus Christ, God's spirit lives in my spirit, then prayer flips my focus. The moment you and I turn to God in prayer, we suddenly have to come to the place where we say, God, I've got to want what you want. Your kingdom come. Okay, 
So the, so the challenge then, Jesus, after he teaches us how to, prayer, uh, how to pray, in Matthew chapter six, a few verses later, he circles back to this thought. You will actually see often when you read the teachings of Jesus, he'll teach, he'll give you an outline of what he wants to teach on. And then for the next several minutes, he goes back to key points in that outline. And in Matthew chapter six, Jesus goes back to this whole concept of your kingdom come, your will be done. Here's what he teaches just a few verses later. He goes like this, but seek first his kingdom. You got it? Your kingdom come. He goes, okay, so you gotta, you gotta want what God wants. You gotta seek God's kingdom and his righteousness. The word righteousness is God always does the right thing. So we've got to, we've, we're seeking God's kingdom and God doing what's right or the way God sees it right. What God says is best. Not what I think is best, but what God says is best. So I've got to want his kingdom and what God says is best. And then all of these things will be given to you as well. He's saying everything else comes when you ask God, I want your kingdom and what you want, what you believe is best. Therefore, he said, don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus is saying, look, when you, when you pray, here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to, your prayers to be filled with worries and doubts. I want you to simply pray, God, your kingdom and your best come. Okay, so I want you to imagine with me. Imagine, you know, and I know you probably all can relate to this, right? Like, so my kids, sometimes they want things and I know that that's not best for them. And so sometimes when I say no, it's not because I don't want to give them what they want. It's because I know better than they do. So with that in mind, you have a child that gets adopted by a father, welcomed into the family. And, and that child begins to be loved by this adopted father and cared for and, and nurtured. And it's a kind and compassionate father. And then over a period of time, that child realizes that his father is also the king of the kingdom they live in. What? This is like every, every adopted kid's dream. I'm a prince. I, I got adopted and now I'm a princess. Are you kidding me? Hold up. That means because I'm adopted, I have access to the throne room of the kingdom. That's right. That means because I was adopted and my dad is king, I have access to the riches of the kingdom. That's right. That means I'm royalty. I have a a position. I have access. Suddenly you can begin to see the wheels turning in this child's mind. I am a prince. I am a princess. There's suddenly that child realizes the power of what it means to be part of a kingdom and not just part of a kingdom. Dad is king. Your dad is the king of all kings. He rules over all kingdoms, all authorities, all powers, all politicians. There's never going to be a president that ever overthrows or overrules the legislation of the king of all kings. His kingdom is always good and always right and always best. So we got to talk about this for a little bit because Jesus is saying, pray his kingdom come. Okay. Okay. God's kingdom, which is always just 
and always good and always best, a kingdom where there are no tears and no sorrow and no suffering, a kingdom where sickness is healed and those that are marginalized find dignity and those that are poor never want again, those that are hopeless find hope and those that are in despair find peace. So Jesus says, pray that my kingdom would come, what already exists in heaven. And what will exist for all eternity would become present in your lifetime. But there is a challenge. There are kingdoms that war against God's kingdom. There is the kingdom of darkness that is at war with God. And it has been at war throughout all history. But Jesus is not just talking about the kingdom of darkness. He's talking about the fact that in every one of our hearts, there is a war. God's kingdom versus our kingdom, God's kingdom versus the kingdom of darkness. And so he says, he says, pray that your kingdom would come first in my heart, that justice would prevail over injustice, that love would triumph over hate, that goodness and mercy would triumph over my hurts and my attitudes and my unforgiveness, that I would want God's kingdom in my life so that God's kingdom can grow in me and grow through me. Then I begin to pray, God, would you bring your kingdom all around me? Could you imagine as you begin to pray for God's justice to prevail in our lifetime, for God's mercy, for God's goodness, for God's grace, for God's healing, for God's righteousness, what is best to become evident in our church, in our community, in our lifetime, in our nation, in our neighborhoods, in the laws, in our schools. Could you imagine when you begin to pray, God, your kingdom come, your will be done. Your will? That's right. Let's jump back in. Jesus, late in Jesus' life, he was about to go to the cross in the garden of Gethsemane. He prays. Listen to this moment. Found in Matthew chapter four. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. The hour, that's right. The moment where Jesus has to be beaten, flogged, crucified in order to pay the penalty for our sins. He says, God, God the Father, if there's any other way, Abba, Father, Papa, Daddy, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. You can do anything. Take this cup from me. Yet, not what I will. In my humanity, in my sorrow, in my suffering, I want to be relieved of this pain. But not what I will, but what you will. I want what you want. Did you catch it? Jesus in prayer is saying, your kingdom come. That's only gonna happen through my death and my resurrection. Your will be done. God, direct my desires because my desires are trying to lead me off course. So I need you to direct my desires. Prayer is the way you and I redirect our desires to align with God's desires because we have to acknowledge that what we believe is best is not always best. We don't always want what is right and be, just because it feels good doesn't mean it is good for you. 
So prayer is our way of saying, God, I need to want what you want. And the only way that's gonna happen is if you direct my desires. Are you discovering something? That prayer doesn't change God, it changes you and me. So I spend time in prayer allowing God to put his kingdom in me so that he directs my desires to want what he wants. I don't always want what God wants. And so I need to allow God's spirit in me to begin to transform me so that what I want is in alignment with what God wants. Well, how do you know what God wants? How do you know God's desires? Let me, let me make something clear to you. God is not trying to trick you. God is not elusive. God isn't trying to hide his desires and his will from you. He wrote it down through over 40 different authors over a span of 1,500 years. There are 66 different books that make up one Bible in two volumes, the Old Testament, the New Testament. It reveals the heart of God. It reveals the desires of God. It reveals the will of God. And when you pray in your life, God, your kingdom come, your will be done, what you're saying is, God, I want my life to be in alignment with your word and your will. I will live my life according to your ways. Listen to me. Hold up. I don't want anybody to check out. You're, you're with me in our campuses. Chambersburg, listen to me. C Cinemas, Wilson, I want you guys to listen to me. The number one challenge you're going to face in life is that you're not going to be willing to do what God wants and it will mess some of you up. You're gonna go off and you're gonna do what you want and it's gonna wreck your marriage. It's gonna devastate your careers. It's gonna separate you from your kids. Some of you, it's gonna to lead to your death. So I'm talking soberly for a moment. If you would do the most radical thing and simply pray, God, help me to want what you want. Jesus, look, if Jesus needed to come to the Father in prayer and surrender his desires to the desire of God the Father, then I kind of think we do too. If Jesus, the Son of God, had to align his will with the will of the Father, then I kind of think you and I do too. But we so rarely are willing to submit our will to the Father that we just do what we want. Even in prayer, we pray what we want. I, I, I didn't wanna, I was gonna come here and plead with you, but it's, it's almost on the brink of pleading because I know so many, so many people that would call themselves a Christian and yet they have never come to the place in their life where they have truly surrendered their will to the will of God. They have never laid their agenda down and said, God, I will pick up your agenda. I will lay down my desires and embrace your desires no matter how much my desires feel good. But if today, in this moment, you would take your desires, I don't know, hold them in your hands metaphorically, and you begin to say, God, I'm gonna give you every desire, even the ones that I think feel good, even the ones that I believe are best for me, and I will fully submit to what you say is best for me, and I will follow your will even when it doesn't feel best 
this will radically transform your life. Suddenly you begin to live the way Jesus lived. Now, I'm not gonna play games with you. Jesus, when he said, not my will, your will, he went from there to being arrested, to being beaten, to being crucified. But it took a crucifixion before a resurrection. And some of you, yes, it's true. When you say, not my will, but yours be done, you're gonna get arrested and beaten and crucified before you experience the resurrection. Don't you dare demand God to do it your way. He does his will his way. And the only thing you and I do is surrender and submit, believing this. Don't don't check out on me. Believing that what God wants is best. And what God wills for me is always best for me, even when I can't see that it's best for me, because God is at work for my ultimate good and his ultimate good. And you and I are not good at seeing the ultimate good. So this is where we trust and we say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Could you imagine? Imagine you surrendered your priorities. God, build your kingdom, not mine. Lead me in your way, not my way, so that heaven would come to earth. Heaven come, heaven come. God, I want, the, I want the way heaven is ruled to rule on earth. I want the way heaven will impact my life when I get there to impact my life right now. God, the way I'm gonna feel in worship when I get to heaven, I wanna worship like that now. God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's gonna flip your focus. It's gonna direct your desires but it's gonna start with a heart change through faith in Jesus Christ. Some of you, that's your starting point right now, is to say yes to Jesus by faith, believing that God is at work for your good, your ultimate good, and for his ultimate good. And if that's where you're at, you're gonna take a moment and just say yes to Jesus. Others of you, you've been struggling with this whole will thing. You've been doing life your way, and suddenly you're being confronted with a, whose kingdom are you building? Build God's kingdom. And whose agenda's gonna triumph in your life? Build, work with God's agenda. And so I wanna take a moment, I wanna pray over you, but I'm gonna ask you to say the simplest but most powerful life-changing prayer you will ever pray. So would you take a moment with me at each of our campuses? I want you just to, you can close your eyes if you want to. I told you last week, it doesn't matter whether you close your eyes, but would you open your heart? And so what I want you to do right now is I want you to pray these simple words with me. Jesus, Yes, I will. Whatever you want, yes. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.